to help my sister's memory, like help other people. I wanted to honor her by having her story help people. But I also really wanted to like selfishly, I guess, capture who she was and like have the world get to know her and really honor her life. Um, so I, I definitely viewed it as a love letter. Welcome to Just Go With It, a podcast by 20-somethings for 20-somethings. Fun, flirty, and keeping it real. An absolute riot these days. If it isn't over the top, it ain't us. They came out of college on top. Then life hit them in the face. Be a bit more professional, please. Couldn't shut us up then. Won't shut us up now. Here are the tips and tricks you are going to need to get through your 20s. We are getting into it. Strap yourselves in for a wild ride. Live on air. I'm Abby. And I'm Ashley. Good Lord, it's already season two. Grab a drink, take a seat, and and get ready to just go with it. All right, you guys, happy Friday, happy hour. We are here for another episode of Just Go With It with Kylie Letty. I am so excited to talk to her. We haven't, I think, had an author on. I don't know if we've ever had an author on, if I'm being honest. So this is our first author, which I'm very excited about. Um, she wrote a book, The Perfect Other. It's a memoir about her sister, and we are going to get into the summary of the book, some questions I had about it, what it's about, what inspired her to write it. And then also for the second half, we're going to talk about the book writing process, which everyone who listens knows I'm always curious about, and just what she did to get to where she is right now. So here's Kylie. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be maybe the first author on this podcast. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe if we ever get an intern, she'll be the fact checker. <laughs> so- I'll go with it. I like the. I'm going to take the honor. Oh, yeah, wow. just go okay. with it. There you go. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, this – well, actually, before we get into the book, where the hell are you right now? Where are you located? Where are you currently living? All of that. Yeah, so I am living in New York City. Um, I live in Tribeca. Right now, I'm in Brooklyn at my boyfriend's apartment, <laughs> so not in my house. But yeah, I'm full-time in New York right now, which has been awesome. I love it. I moved here three years ago full-time um, when I graduated college in 2019. I went home for a little bit. Uh, my mom lives on in Nantucket Island. Oh wow! So for the pandemic, I spent a few months there. Otherwise, this has been my home base since graduating. So I recommend it. The energy is great. I think it's just uh-huh. a lot of fun. Too much to do sometimes, but <laughs> and that's what I want. Too much to do yeah. and the ability to walk everywhere. I'm sick of yes. cars. <laughs> I know. I, I have like California aspirations sometimes. So oh great, we should switch like in the holiday for a month. Yes. <laughs> I can't handle the traffic. But like I mentioned in the intro, Kylie's book is called The Perfect Other. So for anyone who has never heard of your book, it came out one year ago in 2022? Yeah, almost exactly one year ago. It was March 15th. Oh my gosh, she should throw a party. I know. I actually just realized that. I gotta plan something, at least a dinner or something. 100%. (laughs) So for anyone who is not familiar at all with it, can you give kind of a rundown and summary of the book? Yeah. So the book is about my sister's struggle with her mental health, with mental illness, and it's about grief and loss, but it's also about sisterhood. And Mm -hmm. I think it's like a larger take on just like neuroscience and how we treat mental health care and kind of like the stigma around it. Um, A little background about how I came to write it was that I won the New York Times um, Modern Love Essay Contest when I was a college senior in 2019. And that's just, if anyone's not familiar with that, it's just like a column in the New York Times for like personal essays about love. And my take was a little different. I wrote about sisterly love and Mm -hmm. about grief and basically how technology has changed the way we approach grief because we have Facebook's active and Instagram's active still and phone numbers you can text and old voicemails listened to and just that kind of strange 
new, I guess, way to cope in like a modern environment. Um, because that essay took off, I got a book deal, kind of extended it. I wanted to say more. I wanted to write more about mental health and really like kind of tackle it head on. So in the book, you say that this is a love letter to your sister, Kate, which I absolutely loved. I think that's such a beautiful way to put it and such a testament to the book as a whole. And, you know, why stop at just the initial grief process and conversations with your family or her friends or stuff like that. This is a whole extension of that and a way for that to just live on. So I really loved that kind of all-encompassing statement as a whole. Yeah, thank you. I know I, I really do feel strongly that's how I consider the book. Like I wanted to to help my sister's memory, like help other people. I wanted mm-hmm. to honor her by having her story help people. But mm-hmm. I also really wanted to like selfishly, I guess, capture who she was and like have the world get to know her mm-hmm. and really honor her life. Um, so I, I definitely viewed it as a love letter and my main intention, it's a pretty heavy story for sure. I, <laughs> I will admit to that, but I wanted readers also to come away with like a sense of hope too. And, mm-hmm. you know, some optimism about the future and that you can go through these really hard times and kind of still persevere and, you know, work through it. Yeah. What were some of the things that your sister struggled with? So she kind of had some like normal teenage rebellion issues, just like just teen girl stuff, basically, maybe a little elevated. And then um, when she was a freshman in college, she had a traumatic brain injury. So she like fell off a brownstone stoop and cracked her head. And I would say maybe before that, you could say what she was dealing with was like, possibly like beginning of bipolar or something mm-hmm. then after that head injury she became like very severely schizophrenic so she was having like active hallucinations and delusions and paranoia so it, it took on a whole new life and the hard thing about you know kind of looking back in the past and trying to piece together what happened was that there's so many causes for mental illness I mean there's like trauma trauma can cause it can cause psychosis or it could be head injuries like CTE or but she had a TBI, or it could even be just like, you know, autoimmune issues. I mean, there's so many different ways these things happen. And the age too is like when you're in your early 20s is when like a more severe mental illness like that, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia starts to usually emerge. So it's just hard to say what exactly happened. But yeah, I would say like my the whole exercise of the book is just like trying to piece it together. And it kind of took on almost like a true crime element to it. So I'm just like looking back and like clues and dates and just mm-hmm. excavating the past to see what could have happened to her. Yeah. And it's like digging through your own obviously personal history because you were a kid when some of this started taking place. So your memories could possibly be distorted. So yeah, excavating through your own personal history is kind of that's crazy. And what is also, I think, such an important thing about this book is when you think of some of the mental health orders you describe, like schizophrenia, for example, you think of someone much older dealing with it and just, you know, the typical whatever pops in your mind first, not a 22-year-old, very pretty woman. Yeah, I know. The big part of the book, too, I mean, the cover is my sister's face. It's an old modeling mm-hmm. photo. Um, and I really loved that because I really, I just feel like she should be proud of it. And I think when I see it in shelves, it's like, it's not only is it like I'm honoring her memory in words, it's like she's actually in like her picture. <laughs> and I know she yeah. loves that picture, too. I took it from her profile pictures. I was like, I'm not, I need to make sure she proves this. I can't ask her, so I'm doing it this way. Yeah. But even like seeing that in bookshelves, I mean, but I also remember when she was like kind of struggling pretty deeply, my mom and her would talk about it and my mom would t- like try to encourage her and, and say like, you could really like be a poster child for this. Mm-hmm. You could help people. I mean, like you're such a charismatic, 
beautiful, likable person, like so smart and like you could decrease that stigma by like putting your name to it. And my sister really wanted to do that. She would have like moments of when she was lucid of being like, I really want to take this on. And then she just, she just couldn't take it on that moment. Mm-hmm. So I like to think that like I had some of her permission and that it was a continuation of like what she totally. wanted. I can't honestly get those answers, but that's what I like to tell myself at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it makes sense. You you're carrying on stuff that she initially, yeah, uh, had an interest in. What made you come up with the title "The Perfect Other"? That's a great question. Um, you're like Adam beats me. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, titles are so hard. Oh, I remember. Hundred percent. Like I, I think I might have been like a master class. It's like embarrassing to admit. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell, maybe his master class, mm-hmm. and like. I was just researching like how do authors have titles and he, he said something like how like you should have two opposites in a title <laughs> sometimes okay. like his example is hope springs okay or, something like that, or like silence springs and it's like a yes that's what song. it is yeah silence springs <laughs> i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> silence springs. and he was like it's like a silent quiet sound and like a really like you know loud spring sound uh-huh. like the tension there creates like a mystery and it makes people want to know what happened Mm-hmm. So I remember I was like, trying to figure out stuff like that, like what could be like a, like a you know, contradictory, you know, words there. Uh-huh. And then we had a couple of titles. I had one title that was actually put to market for a bit, like you can find online still. And it was like totally different. It was called The Origin of Seashells. And, you know, I think it's too poetic for like, it's just too, yeah, it's just not snappy enough. It kind of sounds um, like a short story. Yeah. It's taken from like one quote in the book. So, but my agent is one who actually, I think, came up with like the perfect other as like the final choice. And mm-hmm. I had nothing else better. And I was like, I like it. My only problem with it, I think sometimes people, it sounds like maybe like a romance title if you don't like read the rest of it, which is a memoir of my mm, sister. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> that's my one like kind of like gripe with it. I might change, but I think it works. Well, we've been doing this podcast for two years and Abby, like every other month is like, we got to change the title. <laughs> we can't change the title. She's like, I don't like the title. So yeah, we still go back and forth. So I can't imagine committing to a book um, where it's, it's yeah. printed. You're not, you're not changing it now. So something that you talked about early on in the book, and for anyone who hasn't read it or picked it up, the first half, it's about you growing up, your sister, where her story ends up going. And then kind of the second half, last quarter or so is about how you pick up the pieces. In the first half, you worried a lot about other people's reactions to your family. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? And for anyone else who might be having stuff go on in their personal life where you're just worried about how you appear to the rest of the world or having people over? Yeah, definitely. That was a huge fear of mine, which is why this book is kind of ironic. (laughs) I once heard somewhere that if you, because I've always wanted to write a fiction book, I once heard somewhere that you should always write a book as if your parents or your best friends are never going to read it. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I actually, (laughs) that's like, the the scary thing is I think I did do that and then everyone did read it and I was like, oh no. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't judge that. No, please read it. Please buy it. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, I think for me, there's like so much like stigma and just like misinformation around mental illness and mental health in general that I was really, I was just really scared that I would be judged or people would have like a different concept of me. Of course, yeah. Too, like this book is really heavy and it's a heavy topic and I didn't want it to like, you know, someone meets me and that's all they see mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um, so that was kind of hard but then I remember when I was writing it people would say to me like you know is this like a really therapeutic process for you and I was like um no like it's awful <laughs> it's <laughs> the most traumatizing thing I've done <laughs> it's like the worst thing I've ever done this is so hard and so uh-huh. traumatizing but then when the book came out and I had that release of like 
it kind of did feel like I was like closing the chapter on it. Like it did feel like this, like, you know, this closure and it, in the end, I think it was therapeutic and I, and I do feel proud that like, you know, I don't feel that stigma anymore. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I push against that shame and Mm -hmm. when I do feel it, it kind of makes me more like energized to challenge it because I just don't want anyone else to feel that way either. And something else that I really liked was the thread that you mentioned a bunch of times, how close you and your mom are. She's your Mm -hmm. best friend. You said that your childhood is magic because of her, which I think is the sweetest thing ever. And can you talk a little bit more about how your relationship has kind of developed or changed through the book writing process? Yeah, my mom is the best and she was really supportive from day one. I When I was in college, like I talk about in the essay, in the New York Times essay, but I didn't really tell anyone I had a sibling even. I was really mm-hmm. private. I didn't want anyone to pity me or like to think differently of me because of because I had gone through this like big grief. So I was really private. And then the essay came out in the New York Times and like the chances of winning that were like 0.01%. So it's I crazy. see that anyway. <laughs> It's so, it's so nuts. I mean, it's like totally like, yeah. So I like submitted it thinking like no one's ever going to read this. It's mm-hmm. who cares? And then I won and it was like splash on the front of the New York Times. Like, <laughs> so I suddenly everyone knew like this like big you know piece of my history. And I think it kind of forced us to be vulnerable really fast and to get comfortable with it. After that came out, we had a lot of discussions of like, can we take more of this on? Like, can we go mm-hmm. write a book and like, you know, do more press and like talk more about this? And we both decided together that we thought Kate would want this and that we could help people. So we like, we could, if we could help somebody. We have to try. So um, I had her like blessing during every process of it. And I think in the end too, I, I don't know if she would say this, I don't want to speak for her, but I do think it's been somewhat therapeutic for her as well. Like mm-hmm. I think both of us kind of feel like we, we did something for Kate and like, there's a sense of like, okay, it's time to move on a little bit. It's time mm-hmm. to heal. This happened when, as I've already said a bunch of times, but while you were growing up. And I know that sometimes when someone's a kid, if your home life is different than your friends, you don't realize it because it's your home life. So do you, looking back, was there a moment where you were like, wait, this isn't how other people's home life is? Or do you feel like you were already a little grown up enough to have realized that on your own? Yeah, no, no, I totally agree with that. I think they're, that's it's an interesting thing. I think people kind of assume like growing up, everyone has the same life of some sort. Like yeah. You, you know, like, and in a million ways, not even catastrophic, just like, does your family eat dinner together? <laughs> like, you don't realize yeah. that it's not your normal until you either see it on TV or get to be a certain age or something. Yeah. Or that there are other ways to live, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't think of like one moment that changed that for me, but I remember like I was really private. I didn't tell any of my high school friends or my middle school friends, like, what was going on with Kate. Mm-hmm. Maybe to like one person, but mostly I really kept it to myself because I didn't want, you know, Kate also went to the same high school as me and I had similar friends or, you know, some of my friends had siblings in her grade. And I just didn't want to be like this gossip train either. So we were really 100%. private. Yeah, we were really private. I think because of that too, like I kind of assumed like everyone else was keeping things like really private. That was <laughs> like, oh, everyone's like going through this. And I think it was kind of shocking at some point to realize like, oh no, like this is, this situation is bad. And there are other ways things were bad for other people but I think was that quote it's like childhood messes all of us up in like a unique way (laughs) yeah right and yeah people's families and childhood a hundred percent you also mentioned in the book one of your quotes was wouldn't it be easier if the qualities that were Kate's downfall weren't the ones that made her so easy to love and that's another big juxtaposition that I think a lot of people can relate to the stuff that either is someone's downfall or it's just infuriating about them is also the reasons you love them whether that's being, you know, too rash or just taking too big of chances or something like that. It could also be the thing that you love about them at the same time, which is a hard thing to grasp onto. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, for us, it was like, I I wanted to be honest. I think we had a tendency to like strip the humanity from 
the dead a little bit and be like, mm. oh, this person was like perfect. And like, no one's perfect. And I, yeah. I want to talk about Kate's like personality quirks outside of just, you know, her mental health struggles. I want to talk about just like who she is as a person, mm-hmm. which like could be stubborn and rebellious. And, you know, she was sometimes too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a big party girl, like those things, I think, you know, that makes her who she was. And I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to like, kind of shy away from that and just say like she was this perfect angel and if she hadn't had this head trauma or she didn't have this mental illness like everything would be fine mm-hmm. so I wanted to give her justice by showing that honesty um and this part too where she like when we were younger she would compare us to uptown girls oh, that's one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. movies Abby and I <laughs> cry so much at the end where she smiles at the stage when they're singing Molly smiles her smile's so sincere oh it gets us every time <laughs> It doesn't even seem like looking back, it's not, it shouldn't make me cry as hard as it does. Like, there are sad Oh, no, it makes me cry a lot. <laughs> I like sob every time. Uh-huh. It's so good. But, like, she always talked about like us like that, where like I was like younger, but like more serious, and she mm-hmm. was like older, but more childlike. Sometimes <laughs> like I that. feel like me and Abby are like her also. Abby is like <laughs> brash and brazen and all over the place. It's <laughs> just like she's very much like an uptown girls. But no, that's a, such a good example for you guys. Yeah. You need both, you know? That's yeah. 100%. <laughs> you also mentioned towards the end of the book the idea of surpassing Kate age wise. And Mm -hmm. what is that realization kind of like? Because you're kind of following the leader for some of your life. And then it's like, my leader is gone now. And even the same goes for your parents passing and stuff like that, just surpassing them age wise. What's that like? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think like, with when I wrote the book, I was 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy. I can't believe you wrote a book at 22. (laughs) I know it's, it's, it's been so long that I'm like, yeah, no, it was my 22 year old thought. So if you guys hate it, <laughs> I'll once in the future, I promise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was 22 when I wrote it and I was turning 23. So like the last, one of the last chapters is me talking about kind of like that age where like Kate was 22 when she passed away and now I'm turning 23 and what that's like. But now, you know, in this moment I'm 26. Mm-hmm. So there's been, you know, a big age gap now. So I've surpassed Kate's age by four years. Which, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that feels really surreal to me. And it's and it's funny because I think I keep expecting her to like seem really young to me. And I know she was like intellectually, but she still feels like to me that big older sister. Mm-hmm. And I still like wish she was here just like to like help me pick out an outfit. <laughs> and, like, yeah. Give me advice. And yeah. I don't you know, check in my bed for monsters. Like yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that feeling has ever like gone away. And then also just generally speaking, it's so interesting because I feel like in the case of – I'm the oldest sibling. So in the case of maybe like family, friend or something, when you think about being like 15 and someone being 22, I'm 24 now and they still – they're 22 still seems older than me being 24. Like the people that are older than you are always so much more mature yeah. and it never ends, which is interesting. Yeah, it's, it is really strange. Like I think when she was 22, she felt to me like – she was this like grown woman. And I look back and I'm like, oh my God, like she was such a baby. Yeah. Um, a 22 year old is a, k- a kid. Yeah. It's, it is pretty, it's pretty strange to think about. Um, but I wonder if like, you know, if I get older and older, hopefully maybe someday I'll like think back and it won't feel that way. But I don't know. I think maybe she will always feel kind of older to me. I think she will. What is one of the kind of threads that you've noticed, um, that kind of helped you like move through your grief. One of the things that kept you going and just like looking back, we'll say like threads or strings that you notice. Uh, so I talk a lot in the book about like signs and mm-hmm. how for me, like we didn't really have like a very formal religious 
background or like backbone to lean on. So as a family, we became like very spiritual after Kate passed. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really needed anything until I really went through that loss. And I was like, okay, like, where did she go? And I started kind of searching like, yeah, what does it all mean? And it just, it became a much bigger question for me. And in the book, I talk about how when we were little, we used to always wish on 11-11. And I was like, when I, when she started getting more sick, I used to always wish like my, my 11-11 wish every day, twice a day would be like, I hope my sister gets better. Mm-hmm. And, and then like my birthday wish is the same. And whenever I see 11-11 or whenever I see just like 11 pop up in my life, I think of it as this like sign from her or like mm-hmm. this not the universe. Um, so there's stuff like that where like, you know, my mom and I always see something where like she, my mom is a different thing where she sees like heart-shaped like shells and rocks on the beach and she always picks them up. Mm-hmm. She feels like it's a sign from Kate because Kate loves stuff like that. And, yeah. You know, it's like little stuff like that. I think that kind of helps you feel still connected in some way. Yeah. Um, connected. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Like it's, it still feels like an ongoing relationship and in a very, you know, strange way. That might sound a little too like. <laughs> no, no, I completely agree. It's still, yeah. It's like, there's, it's, like getting something in return from them still rather yeah. than just into the void. Yeah. I saw this super cute TikTok last night. I don't know if, maybe super cute is the wrong word, but I thought it was really sweet of like these two girls. It went kind of viral uh-huh. and they were talking about like their friend who'd passed away. Oh my gosh. I know who you're talking about. Did you follow this? this? And it was like them like going back and forth, like like, like pop culture updates and what hurt their like friend. Yeah. Was, like, and it was very funny. Like it was like dumb stuff. Like, the Selena Haley drama like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like but like I do think about that a lot with my sister and like what I want to tell her and like I think I used to text her a lot when like you know I was first going through grief and being like you know the Kardashians are <laughs> doing yeah. this and just like dumps up but, like you you still want that relationship in some way and like to feel like they're experiencing life with you yeah even like, really mundane ways Yeah, no, I completely understand where you're coming from with that. Or if someone could have one takeaway from your sister's story, what is something that you hope that they get? I hope that they understand that, you know, severe mental illnesses like bipolar disorder or like, you know, schizophrenia like my sister had, which can seem really unapproachable and it can be attached to a lot of stigma, that they can happen to anybody Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean necessarily that you something – you know, I think people – still have a stigma attached to it. And I, I just want people to understand like, you know, these things can happen to anybody and that everyone deserves to be treated with like empathy and respect. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you just like are walking down the street and you see a homeless man and he's, you know, seems like he's experiencing a psychotic break of some sorts or he's, you know, mumbling about something in the train that doesn't make sense in your reality, just to have like a little more just compassion towards it and understand that, you know, there's reasons why people suffer and, yeah, I, I hope I hope this like comes away with empathy, and I hope people come away with a little hope too mm-hmm. that they are experiencing this on the other side. They're coming to it with like their own personal background in it, that they feel like there's a potential that things could get better, and that you know hopefully our, our society will have better tools to deal with it, better treatments, better medicine, but also just more empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. And I think you might mention this, but just like how fragile someone's mind can be, like we are lucky enough to be more or less have healthy minds but just how fragile that could be as if because of circumstance genetics just literally it's like a dice toss it could happen to anyone yeah absolutely and I think too like we tend to push tragedy away from us and it's like that couldn't happen to me and I think it's a very self-protective thing like it's not mm-hmm. like a it's not meant to be harmful but I think when it comes to something like this there are preventative actions you can take or at least some warning signs you can see it's important just to recognize like we are all fragile you know, head traumas, all that stuff, everything that can happen to you and just to be aware of it. 
Yeah, I know that you're not the face of <laughs> the mental health crisis in America, but in your opinion, what is a piece of advice for someone whose loved one is going through some sort of mental health break of some sort? I think my biggest advice would be, you know, kind of the cliche, you have to put your own air mask on before you can help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's important to take care of yourself. I know my mom and I, one of our like big dreams, and I'm not sure we can actually practically do it, but we really want to someday have like a foundation of sorts to help people who's like the families of someone who's struggling. You know, it's like a retreat weekend. So you can have Mm -hmm. like, you have like in a week to yourself. To just totally. like focus and then because it, it's so hard in the moment when it's like feels like it's crisis and crisis and every mm-hmm. moment feels like it's life or death. Well, um, why the hell not? You wrote a book at 22. <laughs> you <laughs> might as well. I think it's easier than you think it is <laughs> because they do have those camps where um, for kids who have gone through grief or losing a parent camps for kids to go to that can mm-hmm. find a retreat and have fun. So why not the whole family as a whole? Keeping you just like, if you can't help yourself, you can't somebody else. And if you're just drowning, it's it's impossible to deal with them. So I kind of want to get into now the book writing process, all of the stuff that comes with that. So how old were you when you wrote the column? And what came before the column? Did you always want to be a writer? Did you do any just smaller magazine articles before the column? What was before all of that? Yeah, so I always wanted to be a writer. I'm one of those like cliches. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was like, I think like seven, I was like, I'm, be- I'm being a writer. Yeah. I want to be an author. I, want- I, was- I was obsessed with books specifically. I just like love the feel of books. Me too. And, <laughs> and I really wanted it, but I-, I never pursued it. I really, I think in high school, I was like, I had this weird timeline in like middle school. I remember being like, if I don't publish, if I don't finish a book by like eighth grade, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you sound <laughs> like Rory like- Gilmore being too hard on herself. <laughs> I know. I was such a weirdo. Like, it's not, it would be like a shit book. <laughs> but, like, I was like, I'm not, if I can't do it by then, I'm not doing it. And then I was like, in high school, like, I'm going to finish it by senior year. And then I yeah. didn't do any of that. You know, every senior year, like, I didn't even start. <laughs> yeah, I wrote like, like 15 pages. I'm like, wow, that was crazy. Um, I kind of had the same thing in college. I was like, okay, I'm giving myself another four years before I graduate. Like, I have to write a book. And then I went to college and I had like, just like so much, I feel like, discouragement and like, a reality check of this is not possible to become a writer. Like my com my com app essay for college was that I wanted to study psychology and English, double major in them, mm-hmm. and use psychology to, you know, write about mental health in a book. So like that was my like com app essay. And I got there and I did not do that. I I like kept majoring in English and psychology, but I really was pursuing clinical work entirely at that point. And I had never submitted anything beyond um like one essay when I was in high school to like a writing contest and then I submitted to this online journal for like a fiction short story under a fake name <laughs> but, like still hiding from your family and friends ever reading it <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, I haven't grown but, yeah yeah um, that would be me too I still think about it sometimes I'm like should I write some like you know pen names but I really besides that did not pursue it until I submitted that New York Times contest mm-hmm. and that was my first like real piece of writing I had submitted anywhere so once I won that, I was a senior in college. I was senior week. I was actually, I found out I won the contest on my sister's birthday week in April. There's a sign if I've ever heard one. So that was a little spiritual. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I didn't, it didn't get released until my senior week in May. So it was like, you know, a big like celebration weekend. Everyone's like partying. And then I was like, mm-hmm. my life's changing overnight. <laughs> it was yeah. like, so um, I was going to go to Columbia at my MSW master's in social work for clinical psychology and I postponed a year 
And that summer, I had a few agents reaching out to me. So I signed with an agency, wrote a book proposal. And then that fall by Thanksgiving, I had sent it to publishers and had a bidding war and then selected the publisher. That, that is crazy. Okay. So the agents reaching out to you as a result of the column, right? Yes. Okay. Because that's so crazy because some people just write books and they're toiling away on TikTok, trying to get promotion, trying to get anyone to care that because they're just self-publishing. And you were able to just seamlessly get scouted out like that. That's nuts. It was it was so nuts. It's so not realistic. It was it's not it, you know how, how nuts that is, right? <laughs> it, it's so nuts. And it was so lucky. And I can only explain it as like an act from my sister. Like and it was just like it happened to her birthday week, you said? Yeah. And, and she knew my dreams being a writer. And like she was I always text from her, like I screenshot her being like, you have to pursue it. Mm-hmm. So I think like it just felt like that was like, okay, like a push, like a 100%. huge hundred percent. It was a lottery ticket and I just like was like, I'm cashing this in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm running with it. When the agents reached out to you and they said, let's get a proposal in, what were your first steps for even writing a book? Like, where did you start? Did you start like storylining it? Like when we're taught in grade school to write an essay or did you just start writing and trying to piece it together? So one of the other funny things about it is that I had a senior project and one of my, like, we call it capstone classes. Oh, yeah, we had that. Yeah, same thing. Okay. Yeah. So like basically electives, like uh-huh. talk about your experience. And one of the assignments was to write an autobiography of your life. And I sat down, I had other writing on like personal essays I had done in the past, like this and that. And I really pieced together like 80 pages of like an opening. And I asked my teacher and he wasn't an English teacher. He was like, you know, I think whatever. So he didn't really understand what I was saying, but I was like, can I write a memoir instead of an autobiography? Mm-hmm. So instead of being like, you know, I was born and this happened in chronological order. I was like, can I write like a account of something that happened to me about yeah. grief? And he's like, yeah, sure. Go for it. And I submitted it and he gave me a D. <laughs> and did you send him a signed copy of the book back? <laughs> I have thought about it. You know, I don't know. It's pretty petty, but like I might do it. And I was like, with my first like D in my life, I was like, what is this? Yeah. And that's like ZA class. <laughs> yeah. And who gives a D as a for a senior? I know. <laughs> that's a better question. For an A, like don't kid yourself. Like yeah. what? Anyway, it was very serendipitous in the end because then I had these 80 pages. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so I kind of fine-tuned them and added some more. Okay. I had a solid like, book proposal, um, just a foundation, at least that I could work in that summer to get together for the fall. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I was wondering, yeah, how does one even, you know, navigate <laughs> the beginnings <laughs> of a book? So Forbes 30 Under 30, how'd that happen? It came on December, but it's 2023. Um, yeah, that was pretty wild. I like found out I was being considered in the summer. Um, I had to submit like a kind of like a, questionnaire for them pretty extensive my beliefs my policies and like number stuff it wasn't as relevant for me because I don't have like I'm not raising capital like other businesses are Mm -hmm. there's a lot back and forth for that stuff and then heard nothing and then I found out that I won (laughs) like right after Thanksgiving (laughs) you're like I don't know how this stuff keeps happening to me Like, thank you, Kate. Do you have any advice for anybody that wants to be a writer and doesn't know where to start doesn't know even what they want to necessarily write about. Again, I know you're not the poster face for authors everywhere, but <laughs> do you have any advice for anyone who's at least interested in that? I do. I, you know, my big thing is I had these, like, like you said, these like really like pretty nuts, like just lucky breaks. Uh-huh. And if I hadn't had these, I don't know if I would have pursued it. Okay. I was so discouraged. I, I just had searched so many negative things. And I just, that makes me so mad. It's like, cause there, it's possible. You can like make a living as a writer and you can, you can write a book. People write book proposals and they, they find agents. They Any of these things happen. 
So my biggest advice is just not to give up. And if you have this passion for it and you really love it, and for me too, like I remember I was like, I'd hear about authors and I'd get really jealous. <laughs> like, yeah. So if you listen to this and you feel jealousy, <laughs> that's your <laughs> that's your sign that you need to do this. <laughs> so I would say like, don't give up. Like, I know there's tons of essay contests and like journals you can submit to and you can cold call editors. You can find emails and from LinkedIn and just, just like, you know, keep going for it and keep putting yourself out there as hard as it is. And it sounds like my path's been really easy, but I've also had so much rejection. So I also would like to say that's that's so normal too. And like, don't let that discourage you because, you know, we, we need more writers. We need more voices out there. And if you have a story to tell, then we need to hear it. Yeah. What are some books that you think might have impacted your writing? Because everyone says, if you want to write, read. <laughs> so what do you think are some of the ones that have had a big impact on you? For fun ones too, not just serious ones. Yeah. Yeah. I did a... <laughs> TikTok about this recently, but there's um, definitely a few I've read recently, like on George Saunders's book, um, okay. A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. It's a mouthful, but it's kind of like being in a classroom. It's like he breaks down these classic Russian short stories and tells you how they operate, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Um, but I also like some, one that's a little more fun. I loved um, Lily King's book, um, been, Writers and Lovers. Yes, I've been wanting to read that. It's on my list. It is amazing. Okay. It is so good. And okay. it, it just really, puts, especially if like young women, I think it puts in perspective, like just like how a young female writer can make it as living and like all the rejections she faces and all the turmoil. And it's just, it's an amazing book and it's so well written. The language is beautiful. But yeah, I think for me, before I write every day, I like to read something that inspires me of some sort. So I, you know, am definitely also, you know, the classics, like not sophisticated to me, but like Joan Didion. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I like to read something like that or like a Nora Ephron or something that I feel like it really gets me like energized. And then I can like, sit back and be like, this is, this is the bench line. This is what, this is the goal. <laughs> yeah. And that's that, like, you know, one fourth the way there. <laughs> this is a selfish question because I, like I kind of mentioned, I kind of want to write something one day. I'd love to publish something mm-hmm. fiction, I think. But how do you, when you sit down and write, how do you not get trapped in maybe the voice writing in the tone or voice of other writers you enjoy? Because I feel like that's something that I can be guilty of. That's a really great question. Yeah. I think I definitely feel guilty of that too sometimes where I, you know, I want to take something else on. But I think I keep trying to like tap into what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. and like what mm-hmm. the truth of that is and then how I can get there. And I don't think it's bad in some level to like imitate some of your idols. Yeah. Um, but I like to really diversify what I'm reading too. So I have like, if I'm reading just one author, I, I can see myself starting to write like that. But I like mm-hmm. to read like different kinds, different voices. And then, you know, you come together and you kind of find like the the what feels most true to you. Okay. Which is pretty abstract. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. No, no. I think all writers feel that though. I'll take that and level. take it away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and do you have – did I read this somewhere that you are trying to potentially turn this into some sort of show or one-off miniseries? What's going on with that? Yeah, so I'm exclusive. (laughs) I'm hoping it'll be more of a feature film, but I have a non-exclusive shopping agreement right now with a producer. Oh my goodness! Uh, Yeah, so it's it's like very early stages, but she's trying to find right now like some directors and co-writers and actors and studios. So we're like very much still on the ground level exploring that, but that's that'll be crazy. <laughs> that's nuts. Do you know how nuts that is? <laughs> I know. It doesn't sound real when I say it. No. I like to it. That's incredible. <laughs> and do you 
so what's next for your writing? Aside from that, what's next for your writing? Do you want to do more nonfiction stuff or do you want to switch over into some fiction now? So I'm trying to work on a novel right now. It's my first fiction okay. piece. And then I'm working on short stories and I'm also working on some writing stuff. I'm playing out screenwriting of um, my adapt my own work, but also I'm working on a pilot right now. And it's all still going to be in like the broader mental health space, mm-hmm. but I want to move away from just this personal story and kind of extend it to, you know, a broader audience. What would be your recommendation for anyone who is out of school already? So they want to get more practice writing, we'll say, how would they go about doing that? You think? Yeah, I do think the, you know, the biggest advice is just to keep reading yeah. and just keep reading like what you love and then kind of pull back from it, which most people don't do unless they're writers and say like, why do I like this? Like, why am I being drawn in right now? Mm. Why do I want to know what happens next? Like, what's, what, what are they doing that's making me feel this that's way? That's good. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. But I also think like there are like programs you can do and stuff like that. Like yeah. I still will like take a master class or listen to an author's talk and keep looking for advice. There's, there's so much, there's many resources out there that don't have to be like traditional college program. I did really like this quote at the end of the book. I folded down a bunch of pages and then I went through them before we talked. I like this quote towards the end of the book, which is, wait, or sorry, Kate deserves to be at peace. I choose to let her go, but still she goes on. I really liked, again, kind of like the title, juxtaposition between that. Um, Did you kind of just mean the fact that obviously she's living on through your work, she's living on through your and your mom's memory of her and through the people that loved her? Yeah, definitely. And thank you. I, I actually like, I love that last page a lot. It means a lot to me. I like never do reading. That was so really good. Read that page. Cause I'm like, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think for me, I think it's also this understanding of Kate's my sister, but she's so much more than that too. And like, she meant a lot to other people. Like I had a, one of our high school friends texted me last night, he just finished the book and you know, it's not just her, it's not her just living on through me and my mom. Like, you know, it's, everyone who knew her, everyone whose life that she touched. Mm-hmm. And also now everyone who's reading the book. I mean, totally. we're getting to know Kate in real time. And I think that makes me really happy that, you know, that her memory still persists mm-hmm. and that she has this legacy. And there's so many people that I'm sure you're not even aware of that she was super casual friends with that I, they, I'm sure, think about her still. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so do you have, kind of to close out a little bit, do you have, since this podcast is dedicated to life in your 20s, do you have any advice? I know you're only, you said 25, so not that much more ahead of us at all. <laughs> but do you have any advice for anyone that is just kind of searching for their path in life or just trying to figure it out in general? Something I'm tr- still trying to struggle with is like- Oh yeah, something that, that you're trying to figure out. That's yeah. all. That, that works too. <laughs> It's like that's an ongoing process and that there's a lot of trial and error involved and that nothing's ever going to feel, I think, totally settled. Like the dream job and like the dream relationship and your dream apartment, everything's just like fitting Mm -hmm. that like there's going to be ups and downs and that we're all growing. And if the job you're in right now isn't the perfect job, like even right now I'm looking for jobs, like I'm Mm -hmm. trying to write part time or it's just it's not a linear process. And to cut yourself some slack and to, you know, try everything and give yourself the room to grow. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that your timeline is not someone else's, which I know everyone knows intrinsically, but I feel mm-hmm. like I'm guilty sometimes of seeing someone doing something at a certain age and thinking, oh my God, I'm this age and I haven't done that. Or, oh my God, I only have four years left to do that because they're 28 and they've done this and they've moved to this city and lived all these places, which is ridiculous. I keep measuring yeah. myself since once in a while up against other people's timelines, which is obscene because I know that's not the way it works. 
Yeah. I mean, I feel imposter syndrome with like Forbes 30 or 30s. I'm looking at all these, mm-hmm. all my peers now who like have these amazing companies and they're making this much money or this and that. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, I didn't ask. This was a question that I had. What was the event like for Forbes 30 under 30? It was really awesome. Is it just a big party? Like, what happens? <laughs> like, honestly, yeah. It was like first one's like a networking event okay. beforehand at the Forbes, like I think it's called Forbes on Fifth in New York City. And that was the launch party. Madison Beer performed, which was kind oh, of wow. fun. <laughs> yeah, fun. Um, but like I think I was in Coat Check and I was like really nervous. I just got there and I was like, You're like, I, I stayed like, at Coat Check. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I didn't talk to it. And there's a girl online behind me and I was like, hi, like, I don't know anybody, like, want to be friends? Mm-hmm. And we became best friends. <laughs> and, like, Dude. it was like, a huge party afterwards at a club. And, like, we, like, stuck together the rest of the night. We met, like, we met some people together. We were kind of like a duo. And now her and I are, like, still really, really close friends. How so, fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> and sex in the city event, like. <laughs> it's so, and she's so cool. She's a digital artist. She's, like, amazing stuff. And I think um, for me, like, the whole Forbes thing has basically just been, like, friendships and like mm-hmm. meeting people I think for especially as a writer who's isolated sometimes like it's really great to like just get outside my like bubble and meet these cool people and have these new experiences especially if anyone like works from home or just doesn't live yeah I don't know in the city they want to live yeah it's so hard to meet new people it's so hard um do you have I know that we already threw around a few book recs that inspire your writing but just in general do you have any book or podcast recommendations that you think people would benefit from Mm, I think maybe for this podcast, because we're talking about being in your 20s, I know that the classic one, I'm sure I've already talked about this, is The Defined Decade. Yeah. By Meg yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's like, I mean, I, I really liked it. I really got a lot out of it. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my classic one. And also she wrote my book blurb. So I'm like <laughs> a little partial to her. <laughs> um, and then also what I tell people constantly, are you a fan of Dolly Elderton? Oh my gosh, yes. Huge okay, fan. I'm obsessed with her. I always say that everything I know about love is like the fun and flirty version of the defining decade. <laughs> I love that analogy. That's so true. Uh-huh. I think it's the fun, comforting version. <laughs> the defining decade, I feel like, is your parents talking to you and this one is like your older best friend talking to you. Yeah, she's amazing. Did you read her latest book, Ghosts? I actually literally bought it yesterday. So no, oh. but I will read it in the, probably in the next few weeks. Did you like it as much I- as the other one? I did really like it. I like her fiction too. Okay. Let me know what you think. I'm curious. Um, where can the people find you? Where can they follow you? Is your book available everywhere? What do they look out for from you? Give them this go on and promote yourself. Yeah, thank you. So my website is just kylieletty.com. My name is K-Y-L-E-I-G-H-L-E-D-D-Y. And my Instagram is the same. And yeah, I'm on like TikTok. It's Letty Kai. My last name, my first name. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty much always posting on those three and not much else. So yeah, my book is basically available everywhere. Um, Amazon, Barnes Noble, and then most independent bookstores kind of should have it. Um, You can call ahead or check online, but definitely recommend if you can find an independent bookstore to go there. Always. Do you go and shuffle them around? If I ever write a book, I for sure would shuffle them around in the bookstore. But do it. Why not? (laughs) No, no, honestly, it, it is my hobby. It's my secret hobby. I oh, will good. like I'll, yeah. no, I'll put it into like the front of the bookstore, and I'll walk away. Like it's so creepy. Like I'm just like, mm. or I'll be like, sometimes I'll go to the front and they don't have it. I'll be like, do you have like the perfect other by Kylie Letty? 
And they'll be like, no. And I'll be like, um, maybe you should get it. Like, <laughs> but you refuse to I, say it to you. <laughs> I'm like, I heard it's like really good. Anyway, bye. <laughs> like, do you ever sign them in the bookstore? Do you ever walk in and sign I them? I am not. I'm like, I'm such a goody goody two shoes. I'm so scared to get in trouble. <laughs> oh my gosh. You I, need I to say something. Why does anyone write a book aside from the fun of promoting it? You need to go do that. <laughs> I know. I'm too shy. I need to do it more. I need to get more bold. Yeah, please. Okay. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. I hope everyone reads your book. I loved it. And my goal is always, as anyone who listens to the podcast, to read more nonfiction. I am so bad at that. So I absolutely adored your book. And I'm so excited to see where you go next with all of this. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so fun. Thank you for reading the book and having me on. It means a lot.